AT&T Threat Track is a roundtable discussion of the latest network security trends and news conducted by AT&T data security analysts. Complete video of this show is available at techchannel.att.com. So, John, I understand you've got a story about some hackers backdooring a JavaScript library. Yeah, you know, we've been talking about um, some backdooring of legitimate code, or even I think last week or a couple of weeks ago, I had some exploit code. Somebody had backdoored into that as well. Um, this is a, a legitimate piece of software. And what actually happened here is kind of interesting because um, there's a really popular uh, JavaScript library called EventStream that is used by a lot of other applications. Uh, one of those applications that uses that is uh, BitPay's CoPay uh, wallet, which is a Bitcoin wallet. And uh, what a bad actor managed to do is he convinced the guy who was maintaining this library mm. up on GitHub that, eh, you know, if you're too busy to maintain it, I could do that for you, whatever. And he took over kind of ownership of that library. And the thing that was even extra sneaky about it is he didn't Trojan the event stream library uh, directly. What he did is he forced an import for another library called flat map stream library. So in the event stream library that he took ownership over for in GitHub, he inserted this flat map stream library as a requirement in that one. So whenever anybody loads event stream, it's going to go get the required library, which is the actual Trojanized one. Okay. And then furthermore, he wrote the code inside the event, uh, the flat map stream one to only really execute when it's being run inside the BitPay, CoPay wallet domain. So like when that particular one tries to run, then it actually executes this kind of backdoor process that's in the code. And what it does is it steals Bitcoin wallets. Yeah. It's a classic case of an old way of social engineering coupled with uh, you know how not to trust each and everything. So kind of interesting food for thought for people that uh, you know you might want to make sure you know these third-party libraries that you might be you know pulling in from open source open, yeah. uh, places. Uh, how well have you vetted that that's um, you know trustworthy code and do you do any kind of uh, sanity checking or auditing of the code uh, when it gets pulled in on new builds and whatnot. Yeah, well, that's been the concern with with compiled code, you know, C libraries and that kind of stuff going back a long time. I, one of the twists on this is that it's it's in a JavaScript library and then you know that's going to be running in a in a browser app or browser type app. Uh, so I, 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 yeah, I find this one kind of interesting, new twist on an old problem. Right. This is definitely seems like an old way of uh, social engineering. Uh, you know, this is, we've never seen it. And is it possible probably uh, the author maybe who was a malware author tricked the, you know, owner of the GitHub repository, uh, basically use his code, right? So is it possible that say, if, if somebody is doing some sort of file site check, uh, there would not be you know, ma major difference? It looks like uh, legitimate to for anyone you know, looking deeply looking into it. That's what I'm thinking he's trying to do here by doing this social engineering trick with the GitHub owner. Right. I guess who I was maintaining EventStream yeah. maybe wasn't doing 
um, a lot of updates to it, and maybe it's actually very popular, so yeah. I think a lot of people use it. There's probably people looking for feature updates and whatnot, and he kind of offered up his you know, expertise, so say, hey, you know, I, I use this a lot, I'd like to help out, and uh -huh. maybe he somehow convinced the person, oh, this guy seems trustworthy, yeah. let him run the code branch. So, you know, there's a little bit of a, um, a little bit of lack of reputation vetting on the original owner's behalf as well. Mm -hmm. um, but also just to kind of, you know, give you some food for thought in the future, maybe I, do I really need this library that bad? Uh -huh. Is it providing that much functionality that I can't kind of code this myself mm -hmm. or find a more trustworthy way of doing this where I'm not trusting somebody else's code to run as part of my own application? Yep. So. That's a good point, John. We always tell people, you know, if you don't need a service support, close it. Right. At the same thing you're telling to, you know, if you don't need an app, don't use it. Right. If you're an application developer and you're importing third-party library code, you know, you might want to be cautious uh, or and think a little bit about what you pull in and whether what it provides is something that you couldn't just build yourself so that you have more control over that code. Hi, Jim. I think you have a good story about uh, HTTPS padlock being used in lots of phishing sites. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, uh, there was an interesting story in Krebs on Security last week uh, where he noted that um, the anti-phishing company Fish Labs had recently released some data that showed that 49% of all phishing sites in the third quarter now used HTTPS. So they showed the little padlock in the bar on most browsers. The point that Krebs makes in his article is, for you know, for years we've been telling people to look for the look for the little padlock icon in the in the browser bar. All that really says, though, is that the traffic between the user and the website is encrypted. It doesn't really imply any trust to that website. It just says that the transaction's communication is secure because it's encrypted. You really need to scrutinize the domains and URLs that you're accessing to make sure that it's not a rogue website. It, it, I've been kind of expecting that it doesn't take much for, you know, to buy a legitimate certificate that would cause the padlock to show up in the browser bar. So, you know, the fishers are now starting to do that. Uh, you can get you can get legitimate certificates for free via Let's Encrypt or pretty cheap from most of the registrars. So, yeah, the bad guys go to all sorts of effort to to try to trick us into giving them our credentials, and that's not going to stop anytime soon. Right. Yeah, you know, five, ten years ago, uh, the fishers didn't need to do this, but in, in my opinion, and for good or bad, um, a lot of this, I think Google was really one of the principal people pushing HTTPS everywhere. And in doing so, it's my opinion, it's made things easier to get a certificate because now everybody needs to kind of get a certificate in, in order to have the not insecure display on their Chrome browser for their you know, legitimate website. So you know, the, um, the marketplace for SSL certificates has gotten a little bit easier 
to acquire a certificate as opposed to maybe what it used to be five, 10 years ago. Uh, in addition, in the Google search results, they're de-emphasizing non-HTTPS encrypted stuff. That's true. So the bad actors have really gotten on the bandwagon now using HTTPS uh, encrypting their websites. It also basically Chrome browser is one of the top browsers. And it kind of forces the, the, the bad actors to have, you know, incentive to have their certificates in. Basically, you know, we are seeing more of the bad stuff with the HTTPS padlock. Right. Yeah. yeah I, the the ultimate solution to this is is probably difficult, but it's you know certificate pinning and a, to actually authenticate the client and you know the, to the server, or so that the client is knows that it's really talking to the server it's expecting, and that's you know you'll see that in some standalone apps, but in just normal web pages. Uh, very rarely do you see that kind of mutual authentication in the client and the server to make sure that there's no nobody doing man-in-the-middle kinds of stuff on there. Right, right. Well, definitely something to, you know, be aware of and keep an eye on, especially as a security defender, like, you know, a lot of people probably watch ThreatTrack. Um, something to be aware of. You know, I know also over the past, I would say, three to four years, I've seen a lot of malware move to being encrypted as well over HTTPS. Um, you know, not just phishing like we're talking here, but malware as well has been shifting that direction, which also makes that difficult from a tracking or detection perspective inside large enterprises and whatnot. So, you know, they're pushing the envelope for us, but um, uh, I do think encrypting traffic is better than not encrypting traffic in general. And uh, it just makes it hard when it's the bad guys that are encrypting. There always needs to be extra steps we have to perform. That the world is uh, saying that HTTPS with padlock is uh, good and secure. That does not hold true at this point of time. Uh, so Ganesh, you know, crypto jacking has been really popular this year, and it yeah. sounds like you have another story about uh, maybe a new malware variant in that respect. Uh, you're, you're correct, John. Uh, we all know, actually, crypto mining is increasing every, this year, and it, they're trying to evolving with new techniques. Uh, today, I want to touch base with King Miner, uh, which is not new, but relatively new. I think uh, it started somewhere in June 2018 of this year. Okay. And they have uh, two major improvements. And this is the one study done by the Checkpoint researchers about the, the latest variation of the King Miner. What it does is uh, basically it has a lots of new evasion techniques so that uh, security researchers cannot you know, basically identify what it's trying to do. Mm -hmm. That was major goal. And uh, it's based on Monero mining. Okay. And they target the Windows uh, servers. Basically, I think IIS and SQL servers looking for them uh, by brute forcing weak passwords. Okay, so it's not targeting regular Windows desktop machines, yeah. it's mostly looking for uh, either like SQL idea. server, Microsoft SQL servers out there on the internet, yes. or IIS servers, uh -huh. okay, okay. Generally speaking, those devices or those servers are probably gonna be pretty high horsepower, so because it's a high powered you know, uh, server, it's probably gonna be a lot more uh, robust performance in terms of being able to mine better and faster. And once it finds and owns any specific box, once it brute forces them and into the box, it tries to download a Windows scriptlet file. I think uh, 
I believe it's kind of really, really, I think uh, similar to I think a shell code, mm -hmm. this SCT okay. file. And what it does have, it has logic to detect the what type of uh, CPU architecture that specific uh, server or IIS or uh, SQL server have. Okay. Once it uh, detects what kind of um, architecture it has, it tries to send the specific payload to for that particular device. Uh, the download is basically it's kind of a zip file, but in reality it seems it's not a zip file. It's an XML file, you know. Uh, okay. So it, I think uh, most of the times it's undetected. Probably mm -hmm. it's not a zip file. Uh, some companies may allow you know XML-based files to sneak in, and uh, this XML file is a base64 encoded. Okay. Okay. Uh, once uh, this XML file has five files in it, actually, it has again five sets of files. Uh, one is um, the basically Monero mining config file. Mm -hmm. uh, I think they tweaked a little bit to suit their needs. I'll touch a little bit about that one. There is one md5.txt. Um, uh, it's a text file with the string zzz. I don't know what it's used for, <laughs> but that's the only thing it has. Okay. And uh, another one, there's one executable like called power.exe. I think it's a main executable file. And there are a couple of DLLs. Uh, these DLLs actually supplies the functions to the main, the power.exe. I think it's kind of supplies the arguments to the power.exe. Okay. And. Uh, there's another, the last piece is uh, either a text txt or png file. Uh, but in case of if it's a png file, they're saying it's not a real png file. It's again, you know, uh, fooling the detection. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, once these all these five files are extracted, the md5 txt is appended to the dll file. I think uh, whichever the dll file it's actually appending, it will be appended with .zzz. Okay. Uh, and uh, the power.exe is basically, as I told before, XMRig miner with little modifications. Uh, they modified from the original, uh, the available one to tweak the little bit like, uh, I think the footprint is a little bit less. And it, they have a registry variations. They, they created lots of registry uh, keys in here. Mm -hmm. And all those have the value test in it. And finally, they have a thread called King1 the letter king and the numeric one. I think that's the reason actually they tried to name it as a king miner. So king as in king for right. this one, right. and the miner as a mining. I think uh, uh, those are the main, uh, main important features about that one. They claim that actually this specific miner has been uh, configured to run only 70% of the CPU cycles. Mm -hmm. For example, any uh, SQL server has uh, what are the resources available, but they program to run only 75%. But they've seen uh, all the times it's been using all the 100% CPU. Oh, so that's not so working. So it's not really working. <laughs> okay. And uh, they have one graphic in their uh, blog paper, actually. The first one is in June 2018, and the first improvement came in September, and then the current whichever one we are talking about came in October 2018. Okay. Uh, but uh, in one of the config file, they have uh, they said this specific mining pill is using the port 9760 TCP. So I kind of um, looked at our uh, telemetry data for 9760, and uh, most of the time it was almost flatline, except for I think on uh, uh, November 22nd, uh, just before I think Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. There's a, there was a huge spike. Okay, so and, like what we normally show on the internet weather. Yeah. 
like the, that basic that system you saw a spike in 97 a, a significant spike that's all i mean later again it dropped and it tapered off okay and uh, i tried to pivot and if i'm seeing any number of scanners on this specific port in the last 360 to 180 days there's always a, there's sometimes one scanner all the time but the spike we have uh, just before the thanksgiving there were two scanners so technically, I can say 100% increase in the scanners, but really there are only two it's scanners. Still, yeah, very low number. So I, I checked those uh, scanners. They both seems to be, you know, very well-known scanners. But now, like the the scanning activity for that would be that be the infected devices, or would that be researchers looking for uh, it, it C2s? Be, uh, or uh, like I do not know. I think it's only the researchers looking okay. for them. Okay, that's what I was kind of yeah. Thinking too. Okay. Yeah, because it's so closely guarded, we do not have much visibility. So that's where I think it, the point is, uh, the mining uh, stuff, uh, the mining operations have been evolved, and they're trying to, you know, incorporate how to evade, you know, uh, lower the detection rates for them. Right. Right. So I mean, I guess one of the things that comes to mind for me, something we talk about a lot, is if you have your SQL Server uh, exposed to the internet. Mm -hmm. Maybe rethink that unless you really absolutely need to. People should secure their servers and make sure that they're not exposed to the internet if, unless absolutely necessary. And also try to observe how your servers are behaving, especially the CPU loads, which can tell you know whether some sort of mining is happening or not. Yeah, you should, you should be monitoring your CPU usage and you should be aware when you have anomalies like this spiking up. The other, the other thing that occurred to me, the scriptlets are run under the Windows scripting host service, and I wonder if it's possible to, to lock that down, you know, and whitelist only legitimate ones, because I, I wouldn't think that in general you'd be expecting to run a lot of these uh, on, on, an, on a normal server. Right. But this is interesting to me seeing what other people have figured out about about interesting malware samples. So I, I personally thank you, Ganesh, for bringing this story because I'm always interested in looking at new malware samples. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> All right, Ganesh, I thought we'd take a look at the internet weather for this week. Um, mm -hmm. This is the most probe ports, which is the most, uh, the ports that have had the most scan traffic in general, okay. irrespective of how many devices are scanning. Uh, the only one that I think we're going to take a closer look at is this 8545 TCP, which is uh, the Ethereum GETH wallet. We've talked about it before on the show. Okay. It jumped up 13 positions here, so that's pretty significant. We'll take a look at what that looks like. Um, all the other ones we talked about on the show before, um, yeah. nothing. Uh, surprising in this cast of top 10. The only one that people might not recognize immediately, although we've talked about on the show, is 81 TCP. Yeah. A lot of that is usually related to the go-ahead web server okay. uh, vulnerability because it tends to run on port 81. Mm -hmm. um, there's a, uh, a real popular uh, DVR camera system, one yeah. of the, you know, those multi-camera DVR systems that uses port 81 TCP with go-ahead web server that is vulnerable to that. So that's probably what people are scanning for and on that which one. Which lots of botnets use. Right, right. <laughs> Seeking them to recruit them into their botnet. Yeah. This one is the most sources probing, usually helps us kind of see patterns that are okay. more botnet type related or malware, where you get a whole bunch of sources in unison scanning on a port um, at the same time. 
And uh, again, similar cast of characters that we've seen, you know, most of the, at least the last half of this year. There are a few here that I'll make note of. 8080 TCP, there's a vulnerability that's pretty well known on this that's just escaping me at the moment. Uh, port 5555 TCP, yep. we've seen that a lot, and we've been attributing a lot of this activity to the Android debugger service, which does, um, there are a fair number of those out there, and there's some vulnerable devices for that, and it's, you can basically connect to the debug port mm -hmm. on Android devices if it's exposed and take over the device. However, when I've actually looked at our honeypot, most of this activity is um, uh, the, it's like SOAP, queries that come in for okay. like the universal plug and play okay. type things or the T, uh, TR69 port stuff that has vulnerabilities. And there is a family of devices that do lists on 555 TCP for TR69. So I think that's what that's related to. And then the last two that I actually marked up, which I thought were interesting, mostly because they moved, uh, they shifted positions so much, yeah. is 37215 which we'll take a closer look at in a, just one second. And then 8291 also, uh, that one went up, yeah, 59 positions from last week. So uh, we'll take a look at what that looks like as well. So first one is 8545 TCP, mm -hmm. which we, we talked about the first slide. And you can see here, we kind of have a, a relative noise floor. There's been some spiking here yeah. and there, and this is a 90 day chart. So it's not a real long-term thing, but there was a, a peak here where it went up to like, 350,000 scanned flows per mm -hmm. hour, not sources. Sources, yeah. Uh, but here, within the past uh, even two days, I think it is, it's gone up to 750,000. So it's a pretty significant spike, and that's why that moved up so many positions in our um, uh, telemetry. Uh, yeah, in our uh, flow collection telemetry. So in our honeypot, here's an example of what this actually looks like. Um, there's a couple of interesting things that I pointed out in this uh, honeypot capture. So this is, you know, this is a live capture from our honeypot, somebody trying to poke mm -hmm. port 8545 and see what's listening and send their little exploit payload. And the interesting things I noticed here was first the host, Plus. they are forcing it to 1.2.3.4 colon 1234. So that's kind of interesting because that's not valid really. Yeah. Um, but you know, I guess the, the real device would ignore that anyway, possibly. And then another interesting thing to me was the user agent is set to Go HTTP client, which might be an indication that they're using the Go programming language, Go programming language. Okay. Um, as for whatever they're using to do these, this scanning activity. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then the only other thing here is you can see the payload that they're passing in is a JSON um, kind of blob of information, and they're calling the ETH get block by number, which is a standard Ethereum okay. function call. And they're actually, I guess they're calling it on uh, entity zero, which is probably the very first one in somebody's wallet, just to see if it responds and is a real wallet there yeah, okay. before they try to do something else. And then uh, port 37.215 TCP, this is a well-known uh, exploit uh, remote code execution that came out, I want to say like maybe could have been end of last year, 2017, or beginning of this year, uh, on Huawei devices. And a bunch of families of malware have incorporated this. Actually, we saw like it really upticked, even though I think this has been known about for a while, in July is where it really started to kind of creep up in terms of botnets incorporating this into their scanning algorithms. And you know, we've had this general trend. There's actually a really big spike here where it went from 
you know, maybe an average of 2,000 scan 2000 sources scans. per hour up to 9,000. So somebody right. told their botnet, hey, hey guys, somebody who had a, you know, a yeah. decent sized botnet start scanning on this. And they did it for maybe two days or three days and then they stopped. Um, but more recently we can see that there's been kind of a general uptick in this one over the past, let's say and seven still days. Continuing. Yeah, it seems to. It's well, maybe a little leveled off here, mm -hmm. uh, but it definitely took a steep climb up, and it's kind of. It looks like it might continue for a while. So this is probably one we want to keep an eye on uh, through the rest of the year, just to see how that trend shapes up if it continues that direction or not. Okay. And then, oh, here's an example of what this looks like if you saw it on uh, coming into our Jura network. And I, I kind of highlighted just really the important point. Well, you can see that it's a Huawei home okay. gateway that okay. they're targeting here yeah. when they pass it in. Uh, so they're pass passing in some indications that it's Huawei related. Uh, but additionally, in this SOAP request, um, in the new status URL, they're passing, you can see it's a dollar sign paren, mm -hmm. which basically says, Execute. in Linux, that means executes whatever in between these parentheses. Yeah. And there's probably a bug, I'm sure there's a bug, in the Huawei, and that's how you execute. So when it reads this in, instead of just reading it, um, it's actually executing it, even though it's not supposed to. So that's the bug that they're exploiting. Yeah. And what they do is they go fetch this piece of malware, which is not available anymore. I tried to get it, um, but it was not, um, it wasn't at this address anymore. And then they you know, make it executable, and then they run it with a parameter of selfrep.huawei, which I'm going to guess is probably self-replicate to go start scanning for other devices. To and it's, it's interesting it, they have given you know, whole permissions to everybody. Yeah, that's yeah. probably just being them being lazy, is okay. my guess. Just saying, just yeah. make it executable, because who cares? Anybody who wants to run it, run it, because it's malware, right? Yeah. And then uh, lastly, we had the 8291 TCP. Again, another router, Microtech, has a vulnerability um, that's been, I guess, floating around this year. I know it's been, we've seen it come up and down yeah. in our list. I don't remember exactly when the vulnerability was discovered. And we've seen kind of weird spikiness with this one, but there's kind of a general noise floor of not very many, I want to say, so that's a thousand at the one, so five. It's probably like, it's like a two hundred and fifty yeah. scan sources per hour, which is yeah. not a lot. But this is a pretty interesting change. So, right around the twenty eighth of November, it went up and has stayed up in kind of this very distinct pattern. Uh, and I guess that's around maybe twenty five hundred scan mm -hmm. sources per hour or something like that. So uh, ten times increase. Yeah, there appears to be a lot of devices, notably in Indonesia that have showed up as part of this scanning activity looking for um, this port. I think uh, we, did, uh, we did talk about uh, Microtech uh, maybe at the start of this year. And at that time, our, our findings were it's mostly concentrated in Vietnam area oh, okay. besides this. So it's kind of agrees with what you're saying now. Right, right. In any event, uh, interesting trend to keep an eye on. And uh, actually, I think that's, uh, that's all we had this week. Uh, for the internet weather in terms of uh, notable ones that I thought. These are really interesting. Thanks for going through them, John. All right, thanks. The views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.